0: If you have your Bibles with you, I'd ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. The writer says, And and what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Now, in this chapter that's been called the Hall of Faith, I would call this verse the honorable mention in the Hall of Faith. And what the writer didn't have time to delve into, we have taken the time. In fact, it may surprise you that this morning is our tenth Sunday on this verse as we come to the final individual in the list, and his name is Samuel. Now, where would you expect to find information about Samuel? There's a couple books named that. So go back to 1 Samuel. It's right before 2 Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2... Hannah prays for a child and God answers her with the birth of a son that she names Samuel. And his parents dedicate him to the Lord. This is a passage we often have preached on Mother's Day. And then in chapter 3, God calls Samuel individually to himself. And on this morning when we've celebrated vacation Bible school, I think it's interesting to just take a moment and note the ideal progression of a child. The ideal progression of a child is that the parents are praying for him or her before he or she is even born. And then when he or she is born, the parents dedicate that child to the Lord. That is, they give that child back to the Lord. And then if you'll notice chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. Samuel is ministering as a boy. In fact, in chapter 2 and verse 19, it says that he was a boy and his mom would make him a little robe so he could serve. And every year she'd make him a little bigger robe because he kept growing. As a little boy. So as a little boy, he is serving the Lord. Now I want you to notice something interesting in the progression. Notice verse 7 of chapter 3. It says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Did you catch that? He's ministering to the Lord as a little boy, but he doesn't yet know the Lord. It always amuses me when parents say, well, my child just doesn't want to come to Sunday school. My child just doesn't want to come to Awana. My child doesn't want to come to church. Well, I don't read anywhere in here where Samuel wanted to do any of this. His parents packed his bags and took him to the temple and left him there. said, get busy. We'll make you a robe every every year. You see, he was ministering as a young boy before he even knew the Lord. And what was the result? Verse 10 says, when the Lord stood and called and said, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. He was already serving the Lord as a little boy. And then when he was a little older, God called him and he responded to the call of the Lord. And then if you'll notice the summation, look at chapter 3 and verse 19. It says, Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. Or literally, let none of his words fall to the ground. That's an interesting statement. You know how you make sure as a preacher that none of your words fall to the ground? You make sure that you are speaking the Word of God. Now what does it mean that His words didn't fall to the ground? Well, it doesn't mean that everybody listened to Him. Because we're going to see that in the next few chapters. People weren't listening to Him. But that tells me that even when people fail, God's Word doesn't fail. Now Samuel lived in a time in Israel's history when they were in not a very good position spiritually. In fact, uh, we're told that the sons of Eli, Hofni and Feinhoth were serving as priests in the temple and 1 Samuel 2.12 says they were worthless men. And it was obvious that their spiritual influence had gone down to the people because they weren't doing very well either as we're going to see this morning. They were playing games with God. And I want to look this morning at chapters 4 to 7 and see four games that I've picked out that they were playing with God. And as we look at those four games, I want you to be honest with yourself and honest with God about where you might be playing one of these same games with Him. Game number one is manipulating God. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now, Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer, while the Philistines camped in Aphek. Now, to give you an idea where that is, if you took there, there's a battle going on today between Israel and Lebanon. If you took the, the border of Lebanon and came down about 50 miles, that's where these two cities are. So, there's a very present day illustration of what was going on in this day. And verse 2 says, The Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. Israel goes to battle with the Philistines. They lose. 4,000 men are killed. And look at verse 3. When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said... Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Now that's a great question. Why did we lose? Maybe you're asking that question today. Why why do I seem to be getting beat up right now? Why do I always seem to be losing? Why do I always seem to be retreating? Why aren't relationships working out in my life? Why is that going on? Well, They ask the question, why? But I want you to notice their question. It's not just, why did this happen? They say, why has the Lord defeated us today? Now, that's an excellent question. They didn't say, why have the Philistines beaten us? They said, why has the Lord beaten us? If you're going to really ask the right question in the midst of your difficulties, you're going to have to ask this question. Why is God defeating me? Remember Job? Job had that bad day. When his servant came to him and said, the Sabians attacked and they took the oxen and the donkeys and they killed all the servants and I'm the only one who survived and I came here to tell you. And the Bible says while he was still speaking another servant came up and said, you're not going to believe this, but fire came out of heaven and burned up all the sheep and all the servants and I'm the only one who survived and I came right here to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another servant came up and said, the Chaldeans took the camels, killed all the servants, I'm the only one who escaped and I came here to tell you. And while he was still speaking, a fourth servant came and said, all your sons and daughters were in your older son's house and the roof caved in and killed them all. What did Job say? He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Did you get that? The Lord has taken away. We sing a praise song that says, He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. I'm not too good with words, and, and yet my heart will say, "Help me, blessed be Thy name." That's what Job said. Everything was lost; it wasn't a que- He didn't say those gnarly Chaldeans." He said, "The Lord has taken away." And so, the question that the that Israel asks in the midst of their situation is definitely the right question. But their answer is not very good. Because look at verse 3. Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Good question. Answer. Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the ark of the covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. They say, let's go get the ark. Now you know what the ark was. That was that box with the gold around it and the two... Cherubim, the angels on top, uh, made famous in the uh, uh, movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm going to need help today. I'm just, just a, <laughs> let's make this interactive today. So they say, let's go get the ark. Now they got to be thinking back in history. They're thinking back to Joshua when he crossed the Jordan River. The priests walked into the water with the ark, and the and the river divided. And then they got across the river and they went to Jericho and they circled Jericho seven times, carrying what? Carrying the ark. And so they're thinking back to history. You know, whenever we've had victory in the past, we had the ark. So we need to go get the ark. And if we bring the ark and take the ark into battle, then God will have to come with the ark and we'll win. You see, what they're saying is if we can get our form right then God will have to bless us. You ever play that game? I do. God's got to bless me, I I wear a little chain and cross around my neck every day. God's God's got to bless me, I have Christian t-shirts. God's got to bless me, I've got a bumper sticker that says turn or burn. God's got to bless me. I I go to church every Sunday, even when it rains. God's got to bless me. I was baptized. God's got to bless me when Dan mentions a verse, I'm the first one on my pew to get to the passage. I've got the right form. And when things go wrong in my life, I say my prayers. I always worry when people tell me they say their prayers. It kind of sounds like they've got a book that they read out. I I think you can tell a lot about a person by the way they pray. Let me ask you a personal question. When you're alone with God and you're praying, do you pray with form or do you pray with faith? You see, sometimes we pray, and I've been guilty of this, We pray, and we're halfway through our prayer, and I realize, you know what? I have just strung together a whole bunch of spiritual clichés, and I'm going to close it out by saying, in Jesus' name, and I'm going to expect God to respond. What I've really said is, let's get the ark, let's get the form, and if I get my form right, God's going to show up. People can be that way with communion. I took communion, therefore God's got to bless me. Well, Jesus said, do this, but he didn't stop there. He said, do this in remembrance of me. In fact, he has some strong warnings about going through the, the ritual without the reality. See, God is not interested in Form. He's interested in the reality of your relationship with Him. And if you are thinking that you can manipulate God with your form, if you think if I go through the right motions, God has to show up, then you are playing games with God. We had a great week of children's camp. We had a great week of youth camp. We had a great week of VBS. If we start making our plans for next year and say, you know what? We need to do it just like we did last year because God showed up. That's form without reality. You see, you can't find a formula that is going to make God do what you want because when you do, you're playing the game of manipulating Him. And not only did Israel have form, but look at verse 5. It says, As the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth resounded. Not only did they have form, they had enthusiasm. They brought the ark in and they all got excited. If you were at this worship service, you would have said, Man, these people have life. They're jumping cues and getting all excited about what's going on. So they've got their form. We'll bring the ark. They've got enthusiasm so much that the earth is shaking. In fact, they shouted so loud it scared the Philistines. Look at the end of verse 7. They say, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. So Israel is going through the right motions and they're optimistic, enthusiastic, excited, all fired up, what happens? Verse 10, So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent, and the slaughter was very great, for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. They got the ark, they got excited, They got their form right and they went into battle. First time they lost 4,000. This time they lose 30,000. Why? Because they're playing games with God. They're trying to manipulate God with their form and their enthusiasm. And God doesn't play that game. You see, they weren't dealing with their real problem. Their real problem is the same real problem that you have, and that is their sin. But rather than dealing with their real problem, sin, they are trying to manipulate God. And God doesn't play that game. They should have remembered the battle after Jericho. You remember that battle? That was a battle of Ai. That's where they went against Ai, and they lost the battle. Why? Because of one man's sin in the camp aching. And the lesson there was, God isn't going to work unless you're honest about your situation before Him. And I think some of us commit sin and commit sin and commit sin and instead of confronting the reality of that sin, we rely on our ritual, we rely on our form, we go to church, we pray plastic prayers, we act like Christians around Christians. And we are playing games with God. And He doesn't play those games. In fact, look at verse 11. It says, And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. The Philistines took the ark in the battle. These two sons of Eli died. In verse 18, it says, When they came to tell Eli... They said, your two sons died, and he handled that information. Then they said the ark was taken, and when he heard that, it says he fell off his stool. He was 98 years old. It says he was also heavy. He fell off his stool and broke his neck and died. And then if you read verses 19 to 22, it says that Feinhoss' wife gave birth, and right after she gave birth, she died. But before she died, she named her child Ichabod. I don't suggest that as a name. Ichabod literally means no glory. She had this baby and named him Ichabod because the glory had left Israel. Game number one manipulating God. Game number two is reducing God. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1. Now the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Now the Philistine God was... Dagon. Dagon was half man, half fish. He was a man from the waist up, and then he was a fish from the waist down, and they had an idol of him, and they had a house for him. And the key phrase here is in verse 2 they set it by Dagon. They said, They brought the ark of the God and they of, of God, and they said essentially, God, we're going to let you sit right here by our God. They reduced God to being just another one of their gods. You ever play that game? You ever say, God, you can sit right here next to my bank account. God, I I, I love sports, and I'm going to let you sit right here next to my favorite sports team. God, you know how important my career is to me, so it's an honor for you to be right here. Right here. On an equal plane with my career. Or God, here, I'll set you on the mantle right next to the picture of my girlfriend or my boyfriend, and you can be equal with them in my life. What are you doing? You're playing the game of reducing... God you know we may say that he is number one in our lives but if in reality we are worshiping him along with our idols then we're playing games we're not really rejecting God we're just reducing him down to make him equal with other things in our lives And when we do that, the reality is that we are not worshiping Him at all. Jesus said in Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. God is not worshiped at all if He is not worshiped alone and God will not accept any place in your life except first place and God will not share first place with anyone or anything and he made that clear to the Philistines look at verse 3 when the Ashdodites arose early the next morning behold Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark Of the Lord, so they took Dagon and set him in his place again. Next morning they come in, they set the ark next to Dagon. You guys are equal. Next morning they come in, and Dagon's laying on his face as if he's bowing down before the ark of God. So what do they do? They stand him back up. You know, it's sad when you have an idol that you have to prop up. And we can laugh at the Philistines, but we all are sometimes guilty of that. I remember when I was younger, and uh, never had a nice car, but I always thought it was nice enough. You know, and you, you'd wash your car and roll the window down and hang your arm out and drive. We used to cruise Broadway. I don't know if you still cruise Broadway. I guess gas is too expensive today cruise around thinking you were cool, thinking that car made you cool, that was your idol. I remember when I totaled a car. Have you ever seen a car totaled? I remember sitting on the side of the road looking down at the car. It was all, it had rolled over and lost one of its wheels. It was all crumpled up, smoke coming out of it. And I remember thinking to myself at that moment, that's a pretty sad idol to worship. That's what the Philistines were doing. Their idol was flat on its face and they had to stand him back up. Well, God was trying to tell them something and they didn't get the point. And so it says in verse 4, or verse, yeah, verse 4, but when they arose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left in it. This time... He falls down and his hands come off and his head comes off. What did they do? Well, they glued him back together. In fact, look at at verse 5. It says, Therefore neither the priests of Dagon nor all who enter Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. They were so superstitious that where he fell and broke his head off was the threshold and they said nobody can step on the threshold so they basically publicized the fact that he was a helpless god Can you imagine that you're coming into the house of dagon with your son to worship and and you say you know you have to step over the threshold and he says well, why dad well that's because the god we're going to worship broke his neck there pretty sorry idol to worship one that you have to super glue together to keep him going. Has God ever done that in your life? You've got an idol in your life and he knocks it down and breaks its head off? He'll do that periodically. You're, you're, you're saying, hey, my career is everything to me, and suddenly your career starts to go south. So what's going on? God's trying to get my attention. You may be investing in something. I remember one time uh, our first youth pastor Jesse Padgett was uh, probably the best banjo player uh, in this whole area and he he came to my house one Saturday morning and uh, knocked on the door and came in and I made him some pancakes and we were talking. He'd been up all night. Somebody had stolen his banjo the night before and he had stayed up all night praying about it and he came to me. He was all excited. He said, I'm not upset that I lost my banjo because I realized God took it away from me because I was making that banjo my God. And I love to get up on the stage and have everybody look at me and admire me because I could play the banjo so well. He says, I'm not going to replace the banjo until God tells me to because he's taken that out of my life for a reason. He will do that if you pay attention. But what we typically do is get our super glue out and fix it and move on when God's saying, "Hey," Don't play games with me. Don't reduce me to a level of something else in your life. Don't put me alongside all the other loves that you have. And not only did he knock down Dagon, but he knocked down the Philistines. If you look at verse 6, It says, Now the hand of the Lord was heavy on the Ashdodites, and He ravaged them and smote them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territories. When the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for His hand is severe on us and on Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered all the lords of the Philistines to them and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they said, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. The people there got, my translation says tumors. It's really not a medical term, but it's a term uh, that means swelling. In verse 9, the King James calls it tumors in their secret parts. Uh, The old King James says it's hemorrhoids. got to be careful here but uh, you ever had a hemorrhoid oh well this is this is not a, a, just a met. you know they didn't have preparation H so they didn't have any way. but this was not just a normal hemorrhoid the, the idea here is that it's like a tumorous swelling in the same place you would have a hemorrhoid so this is severe and so they say get the ark out of here he's already knocked Dagon down broke his head off now he's he's killing us and so they send him over to Gath, and if you read the rest of the story, the people in Gath got hemorrhoids. So they say, "We've got to get rid of the ark." So they send the ark in verse 10 over to Ekron, and they go, "Don't send the ark here. We don't want hemorrhoids." And they got hemorrhoids. And so as you read the story, they finally decide they're going to send the ark back. So in chapter six, they decide to make a guilt offering. And in verse 4, it says, they made five golden hemorrhoids and five golden mice. Now, it doesn't tell us why they made the the mice. Some people uh, associate this possibly with the uh, bubonic plague, which was uh, symptoms of high fever and swollen lymph glands in the groin from fleas of rats. So there may have been, somehow some mice were associated with this thing. So so they made five golden mice and five golden hemorrhoids. Now I'm not sure who the artist was to design or how you would go about that. But but he made five golden hemorrhoids. They built a new cart. They built a box. They put their golden hemorrhoids and golden mice in, in the box. They set the Ark of God on the new cart. They took two dairy cows that had never been under a yoke before, and they yoked these two cows to this new cart. They were cows that had just given birth to two calves, so they kept the calves in the barn. And they said, Now, if this, if these cows, without any direction from us, take this cart straight to Israel, we'll know this is a God thing. If they turn around and come back to their calves, we'll know it was all just circumstance. It was all just chance. So they turned loose of the cart, and these two dairy cows headed straight for Israel and went all the way to Israel 12 miles away. The Bible says they were lowing as they went, crying about their calves as God led them to Israel. What's the point? God won't play the game of reducing God. He will not share his glory with anyone or anything. Third game is disobeying God. This cart shows up in the city of Beth Shemesh, and... uh, this card has the ark on it. Now God was very clear about the ark. If you want to read about it you can read about it in Numbers chapter 4. It says anyone who touched the ark would die. In fact it said anyone who saw the ark would die. So the ark shows up in Beth Shemesh and and on this card and so they take the cart and they take it apart and they make a fire out of it and they take the two uh, dairy cows and they offer them as sacrifices to the Lord. If you love cows, this is a tough story. So so they were offered to the Lord as a sacrifice to Him. But then, they decided, you know what? We better look in the ark and just make sure that everything's okay. Because after all, the ark's been in Philistine territory for seven months now. So we better, God will understand, we better just take the lid off and look inside and make sure everything's in order. They played the game of disobeying God. And then they tried to justify it by saying that they had a good motive. Have you ever played that game? I know the Bible says this, but... I know the Bible says I shouldn't marry an unbeliever, but we're in love and we're praying about it and we're asking God to bless our union. You're playing the game of disobedience. You know what happened on this occasion? Look at verse 19. tells you what God thinks of this game. It says, He struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord... He struck down of all the people, 50,070 people. When you play the game of disobedience, no matter how you justify it with your good intentions, God won't play that game. And then game number four is ignoring God. Look at verse 20 of chapter 6. Says then the men of Bethshemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, and to whom shall he go up from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirath Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. Chapter seven, verse one. And the men of Kirath Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated. Eliezer his son to keep the ark of the Lord and from that day from the day that the ark remained at Kirith the time was long for it was twenty years and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord They asked the people of Kirath-Jerim to come and get the ark. Now, Kirath-Jerim, if you go back in the history, Kirath-Jerim is the city in Joshua chapter 9. You remember when the people of the land pretended they were from a far country and they dressed in old clothes and made their bread stale and said, we've traveled a long way, make a covenant with us. And they deceived Joshua into making that covenant and they stayed. that's this city. In fact, in Joshua uh, chapter 13 and verse 60, The city is called Kirath Baal as a second name. It was a place where idols were. So they called the the people from this city to come get the ark and take it to that city and take care of it because they don't want to be around it. Why didn't they take it back to Shiloh where it was to begin with? Because they couldn't confront a holy God. We want God to be over there. And what happens when you play that game? Twenty years went by while Israel lamented the Lord. Some of you are playing games with God. And you know what's happening while you're playing games? The clock is going tick, 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 tick. And some of you are going to wake up and your life is going to have gone by. And you're going to look back and say, all I ever did was play games with God. They played games with God and 20 years went by. Were they happy? No. They were mourning the whole time. But they continued to play the game of ignoring God. And finally, Israel faces their problem. Real quick, look at chapter 7 and verse 3. It says, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying... Now, I am sure that this is not the first time Samuel said anything. Twenty years go by. Samuel's been talking. His words have not been falling to the ground, but nobody's been listening. Finally, they're listening in chapter 7 and verse 3. Samuel spoke, and here's his answer to their problem. If you return to the Lord with all your heart... You say, well, Dan, I'm not not far from the Lord. I mean, I'm away from the Lord, but I'm not real far away from the Lord. It doesn't matter. You're away from the Lord. He says, return with all your heart. Secondly, remove the foreign gods and the Asheroth from among you. Remove the idols. What are they in your life? What are those idols that want to climb up there and get side by side with the Lord in your life? You know what they are. He says, remove them. And direct your hearts to the Lord. How do you direct your heart to the Lord? Well, there's only one heart that God really responds to, and that's a humble heart. So to direct your heart to the Lord is to humble yourself before Him. And then it says, serve Him alone. Make Him number one. Return with all your heart. Remove the idols. Direct your heart in humility to Him and make Him number one in your life. And then if you look at verse 6, notice what it says. They say, we have sinned against the Lord. That's what God was waiting 20 years to hear. We have sinned. And when they said we have sinned, God responded. And then I want you to see the result. Look at verse 8. Then the sons of Israel said to Samuel... Do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us that He may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Would you underline the word, He? You remember back in, in verse chapter 4 and verse 3? They said, let's get the ark of the covenant of the Lord that it may come among us and save us. It's the ark that we're depending on. Now they've got a relationship. Now they're not manipulating anymore. Now they're crying out and saying, we want God to save us. And then look at verse 9. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to the battle, to battle against Israel. Now uh, that's bad timing when you're, when you're offering a sacrifice and the enemy attacks. But notice what happens. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. Let me ask you this morning, where are you at with the Lord? Are you playing games with Him? Are you playing the game of manipulating God, kind of going through the forms? following the rituals, looking like a Christian around other Christians and thinking God's got to bless me because I'm doing it all the right way. Are you playing the game of reducing God? Have you set Him in your life right next to all your other loves? Are you playing the game of disobeying God and trying to justify it by saying, I've got good motives for why I'm doing this? Or are you playing the game of ignoring God trying to keep Him at arm's length in your life. Along with Samuel, I want to call you today to say, I have sinned. I have sinned. And then remove the idols from your life. Return to the Lord with all your heart and serve and worship Him alone. And then begin to see God's victory in your life. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close. And we're going to sing together. As we sing, I'm going to ask you to think about the words of this song. And if you can't mean the words of this song, please don't sing it. Because the words say, I'm giving you my heart. And all that is within me, I lay it all down. I surrender all to you. Let's...